What is... Is it raining where you are? No, that noise is my laptop. <laughs> okay. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews and whatever else takes our fancy. I'm your host, Kirsten McDermott. With me is your... <clears throat> Other host, Ian Mond. No, no, you, no, no. Don't, it is don't, a bad start to the year, folks. And my co-host, Ian Mond. Um, hello, me. Ian. Happy 2023. <laughs> and a happy and a wonderful... Uh, clearly, it's a, it's a 2023 that's working very well for you, Kirsten. It's... Very, very well. Um, and I did say at the very beginning, this is a monthly podcast. There's a slight change this year. It's going to be monthly, but only for four months. And then we'll have a couple months break. And then there'll be another four months. So two seasons. <laughs> Two, four, months, four episode seasons each year because we we get tired halfway through and we need to have a lie down and a bit of a nana nap, don't we? Correct, <laughs> correct. Um, yeah. So look, it's it's it means that you can treat each of these episodes like special specials, one off events, movies, you know, because they're because they're going to be scarce. No, I, I think you can treat them as like a limited series. <laughs> That's what you could do. We're little, like, four. You don't have to, you know, this is 20-something episodes of whatever that goes on for it. No, no, it's tiny little, you know, you don't have to commit for very long. It's just four episodes and then you can think about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we will probably think about it, Vigie. Exactly. So, look, it's, yeah, it's just so we can keep this going for longer because if we do 12 or 11 episodes, we'll probably end. <laughs> Die. And yes, that's good because we're both busy, and at least one of us is trying to finish a fucking novel. So yes, and, that, and that's what it's called. We're going to title that my fucking novel. By the way, congratulations. Um. Oh, uh, the lo- lo- the locust recommended reading list. I yes. only just found out about that yesterday because I. Do I need to tell you? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. You could have. It might have been nice. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been probably a good thing for Because you know what you know what happened? Genuinely, this is what happened. I saw um someone, I think it was Jonathan Strahan congratulating Angela Slater. Um, and then she posted something as well on Facebook on Thursday. And I thought, um, oh, that's great. You know, Angie got on the list. That's really awesome. I'll have a look at that. You know, I mustn't be on it because I don't know. No one has told me. <laughs> and then I had a look at it last night. I went, oh shit. <laughs> My collection's on it. So yeah, if I was your friend, I would have told you that you were on it. It was a nice surprise. Because yeah, yeah, what I actually did, of course, what I actually did, and, re- and listeners will understand what I actually did, was go to the collection section to see what other fucking books got on the list and not mine. <laughs> and then so, there was mine. So that no, was really so lovely. Were, okay, to be clear, <laughs> you went to it in a mood of bitterness but then came Business back happy. and spite. And spite. And Which is my fuel. So that's good. I got my spite quota for the week in one fell swoop. Yeah. I, I, it did occur to me as I was saying it right this second that I probably should have told <laughs> or said something. But I don't know. I just didn't. No, it's you. fine. I, I've just been oh, so busy. Because not any other year I would have just gone and, and looked at the list because I love the, the recommended lead, reading list. It's a very um, – well, it, it makes me feel a bit – insubstantial because it's like there's so many good books out there that I am not going to read. 
Because I just don't have time. you, Philo, because I haven't read a chunk of them. It's a very imposing list, but um, it it is really good to see because it is such a a long list and quite broad across spec fic. So it is is good, even if you don't, which most people wouldn't get to read everything that's on it, it does give you a good snapshot of what the genre is doing at the moment and the names, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I mean, Gary and Jonathan did their advent calendar thing towards the end of last year where they interviewed... Mm on their Coot Street podcast, 26 or whatever it was. Yeah. And I can tell you, I'm, and I, again, I reviewed for Locus. I've probably read one of the two of those books. That's how far, yeah. that's how much there is out there that is of high quality. Exactly. Um, so you just have to give up and say, you know what, I'm just going to read the stuff that grabs my attention and that's good enough. And that's a common theme of these two books for me because if I'd read them in 2022, both, spoilers, would have mm. made my best of year list. Yeah, they're good. They're really so. So the books we're reading, we should we should get into the podcast proper instead of just again continuing the theme. Congratulate you, and then it just beautifully moved into this into whining yeah. about how we don't have enough time. Um, <laughs> maybe if we stopped whining about how we didn't have enough time, we'd get more time. Anyway. So the books for this episode are Every Version of You by Grace Chan, who is an Australian author, and The Women Could Fly by Megan Giddings, which I will freely admit that I misread the title of, and until I had actually finished reading the book, I thought it was called If Women Could Fly, <laughs> uh, which would also have been an okay title, but um, I rather like the declarative, definite, The Women Could Fly um, instead. So, uh, that would be the second book we're talking about, but we'll, we'll begin with talking about every version of you by Grace. And, and again, and again, to be clear, both 2022 novels. Yes. Both books that I did not read in 2022 that would have made my best of year list. And it just shows again, how much is out there and probably how slowly I read. Cause I just don't have, I only read 70 books last year for me. That's you know what? Maybe we need the gatekeepers again. Just what, to, like, to remove the stem the flow, stem the flow. <laughs> I'm so kidding, hundred percent kidding. <laughs> we don't need. I mean, we have gatekeepers anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I will start by just reading the quite brief little bit of, um, I guess, summary that is on Goodreads for every version of you. In late 21st century Australia, Tao Yi and her partner Navin spend most of their time in a hyper-immersive, hyper-consumerist virtual reality called Gaia. They log on, go to work, socialise and even eat in this digital utopia. Meanwhile, their ageing bodies lie suspended in pods inside cramped apartments. Across the city, in the abandoned real world, Tao Yi's mother remains suddenly offline, preferring instead to indulge in memories of her life in Malaysia. When a new technology is developed to permanently upload a human brain to Gaia, Tao Yi must decide what is most important, a digital future or an authentic past. Never Let Me Go meets Black Mirror with a dash of Murakami surrealism thrown in. This is speculative literary fiction at its best. Yeah, that last bit. That last bit. Love, love those that. last bits, don't we? Yes, let's ignore yeah. that bit. Let, um, let's, let's ignore that last bit. Because um, you know what? It's definitely not Black Mirror. No. No, because, yes, correct, it's not. Because, in fact, if anything, it's the opposite because it's a gradual mm. development of a technology that already exists. Yeah. Black Mirror is always about the intrusion, at least the, what I've seen, mm. is about the sudden intrusion of a technology that changes 
life? Or is this is this is set in 2080 already? People are used to this stuff. It's not mm. intrusion into their lives. Well, the the actual uploading is is new. Like, yeah, and, and that and that is that is the turning point of this novel. So everyone that, that is, is using true, this it's, virtual but, but, world. That is true, but but as made clear at the very beginning, people spend mm. most of their lives in Gaia anyway. It's yeah. it's it's a logical step. It's not. I mean, everyone is shocked, mm. but it's still a logical step in that direction. But I think I think the big difference is that Black Mirror is, and I, I think I've seen every episode now. Um, at it, at its heart, really, it is actually quite an anti-technology series yes you know yes. like you you once yes. you watch them all and it, it, they kind of build up on you you realize it's actually just very anti-tech anti you know like it, all the bad things must happen um and it's yeah which it is because you know it's it's a, like it's a, a tech twilight zone type of thing so of course what is the worst that can happen in any one of these scenarios that is what the show does but that means it has this very very tech is bad tech developments are bad, they will always affect humanity in a negative, in the worst possible way. Whereas every version of you is really balanced and nuanced in how it looks at this development. And it's not necessarily, like the, the book is not necessarily, you know, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, this is the, what's brilliant about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've, you've, I'm not going to, I'm not going to repeat what you've said, but point out that I, that I saw this as a socialist realist novel of a, of a singularity. So, like, yeah. there is. So the, the idea is that there's no thriller element to this. There's no, no. evil corporation running around trying to kill people or anything like that, which often happens in these sort of novels. Yep. It's genuinely okay. Here's the technology. How does humanity and this small group of people react to it? And yeah. some have one view and some have another view. And although our perspective character, Tao Yi, clearly it's an issue for her and, and, and it rubs against her, she's not as keen on the virtual world and especially uploading is, mm. a, is a major issue for her. That doesn't mean that, that, that Chan puts her finger on the scales here and says, well, that's, that's never going to work. Because as I'm reading it, I'm thinking – Actually, that probably does solve climate change because no, it doesn't. Do you know the amount of resources? Yes, that but if it's all, if it's all powered by wind farms, which this essentially oh. says, yeah, it is, but it's, I it's don't. powered. I mean, it, you, we can we can we can argue till the cows Even, come home. But, but the infrastructure still required the precious metals and minerals, okay. like everything oh. that's still required to oh. maintain this. It's and well, well, but this is the thing, and it, this is not a criticism of the book, but this is. This is what my my takeaway from this. Like, it's still horrific. Like, I think this is absolutely horrific. Is it? Because it's a complete, it's a complete um, disavowal and and irresponsible runaway of everything we've done. Because this earth is still a scorched fucking earth. The animals are all dead. The trees are all dead. And yeah, we're just like, it's okay. Spent. We'll just the, go to Gaia. No, um, the, the, the earth is spent. The earth is done. The earth is finished. So, so if humanity have limited choices at this point, well, we we feel it is, but it's not. Well, like that's well, the thing; it's not. But our, our we, instead, we have chosen to retreat into this alternate reality where correct. everything is great for us, possibly if it continues, if it's able to continue. Um, but actually, we don't give a shit about the rest of the ecology on the planet because it's okay for us now. It's good for us, so that's okay. We're okay. Everything's fine, and it's it's horrific. Yeah, it's one I'm of these. Just, I, yeah, I understand. Look, 
I, I'm, I would not upload, okay? I, the whole idea of it, and, and I really got into that whole, uh, uh, Taggy's feelings did resonate mm. with me about just the very idea of it and losing that sense of corporeality. But anyway. Because her, her partner, Navin, Does. immediately, as soon, like he's one of the very first because he has a, he has a chronic, um, very debilitating illness. He has problems with his internal organs and he's, yeah. he's very sick. When he's not in Gaia, he feels very physically ill. But, but, but as, as we see, while, while, while that's the case for him, mm. we find out within a year or so nearly everyone has uploaded. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, but. And 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 that and that was actually there is some the last third of the novel is is brilliant. Uh, this sort of empty Melbourne, this empty you know her just attempt to get to Sydney, is is harrowing in a way in a way that's not like again not like a dystopian not in the sort of uh, zombie dystopian novel sense, mm. just in the idea of it's a desolate empty world. Um, yeah. But 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 the point I was make I was going to make was that and and this is what I think the novel provokes is okay fair enough. It is said that it's renewable energy. Yes, there's obviously a carbon footprint on the infrastructure itself, but it would still be less of a carbon footprint than us just going just being in in our existence. You know, being not being uploaded, being corporeal, being flesh and blood. The the carbon footprint would have to be less. You would argue oh, yeah. that. Certain parts of the world would have to slowly but surely over millennia improve uh, because we're all stuck in, in servers on a computer. Being the idea that maybe 10, 20,000 years from that point or even a million years, we then load ourselves back into our, into fleshy type bodies which we've made for ourselves. Because you, you can go back to the real world. At, the, at this point, the technology only allows you to go back into a robot, but mm. you could imagine that. Uh, the, 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 you know, once the world, ha- the, the planet has sorted itself out because we're not just damaging it to the extent that we are now, that that could happen. That's how I see it. Potentially. Um, yeah, you, you, maybe. When you say potentially, what you're saying is I'm right. <laughs> I'm not personally advocating for the mass upload of humanity into service. Okay, the whole idea makes me feel nauseous. I'm simply saying that this book provoked that sort of thinking in my head and that's what I loved about it. Yeah, absolutely, because it's not a didactic book. It's not – and look – for me, I thought some of the world building was – you had to hand wave a bit of this. You you did. Um, What? Well, you you have to hand wave the entire thing. The renewable stuff. The entire thing, um, and just go. Okay, this, somehow they've made it work. I don't buy that this would work, but we say, okay, they've made it work. So if this you, works, wait, 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 wait. I want to interrogate that. You don't think this sort of singularity post-human stuff is actually realistic at all? Oh, I, I think you, we could absolutely upload what we think of a type of ourself as a as some kind of a, a virtual simulacrum. Absolutely. And into a, a neural network of some kind that would, you know, and, and would have a sense of itself. Absolutely. Not I don't have a problem with, with that concept. I have a problem with, you know, I guess by this time we're looking at like it was twenty seventy four or something like that. Twenty it's um, twenty eighty. The book is set twenty eighty. Yeah, it, fl- it flips back and forth a little bit and it does. across about a decade. So, yeah, 70, 80. Um, sorry, 28, 2080. By 70, 80, they can probably do it. What I have a problem with is the, I don't know, by that time, the 12 billion humans all being able to be 
Yeah, okay, I agree with you right. on that. The, 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 the single brain. You just got to hand wave that. There would be a much greater disparity between the haves and have nots in a world like this. We have a huge disparity now. I mean, for goodness sake, we have, you know, we're living in the 2020s in Australia, which is allegedly a very well off country. And we have a massive homelessness problem here because we don't have the infrastructure to put people in a house <laughs> you know um the, the infrastructure that would be required for this kind of a setup and we are and it's already told uh, said in this book that you know, this is not cheap that not everyone can actually go to Gaia and live in Gaia but but somehow when it happens almost everybody has so the, the, the impression I got because you're right and it is said that there, we know there are people there are homeless people still yeah. uh, essentially so dying in the sun because it's Global warming is out Correct. of control and, you know, the sun I, I got the feeling because, again, if, you, if everyone has uploaded, what, what, what is money at that point? What is actually – what is economic value at that point? But it's the whole different. thing is a big capitalist system. What, what yeah. was really interesting about Gaia but it's, is but – it's, But it's funding itself. It's all funny money. It's all just circular. It's funding itself. There's no external – Source. That's what money money is. Yes, our, our money is, is deregulate. Yeah. Our money is decoupled from any actual objective value. Yes, yes. I know it's one big Ponzi scheme. I know that, but, but it, it, it's and, but and that's what was really interesting because you can absolutely argue that the primary driver of human created climate change has been capitalism and what capitalism represents and and the engine that runs that whole economic system, right? The the continual growth the the need for growth that if there's no growth it's death that uh, you know all of this this is what has driven anthropic climate change over the last couple of centuries right the need for endless endless growth and consumption and more and more and more and Gaia replicates that the whole reason Gaia is so attractive to people is you can have more and perfect and best and whatever you want this we've not taken this step back from going you know what endless growth and more and whatever I want is actually intrinsically fucked as a personal philosophy and and instead it has supercharged it so there is no escaping capitalism and the the drive that runs that engine in Gaia. Gaia is predicated on that. And the fact that, as you say, somehow, well, it's not ridiculous because um, even though it's all virtual, it's absolutely, it's still products. It's still goods and services. And we pay for that. We pay for it now. We spend billions of dollars a year paying for stuff which does not exist, but we pay money for it. So, of course, this continues into Gaia. And that I, I think that's what made this the whole concept of it so horrific to me is because we've not we've not fixed anything except potentially, in some sense, for ourselves and fuck the rest of everything else, including the people who can't afford or want to go to Gaia because they're fucked. We're not leaving yeah. any infrastructure so what, for so them. What, what it doesn't show within Gaia, so it shows it outside of Gaia mm. but not within Gaia, mm. whether there are homeless people in Gaia itself. Like if you've uploaded and there's – and because of the what you've just said, there would have to be people who either have the – the, the the outsiders within. I question that those people ever got there. It's expensive to get. Yes, there. but that's the point. If they haven't, if they haven't got there, then aren't we in a post? What do they call it? Post scarcity world, a bit like Star Trek, where everyone is on the same level because there is no 
haves and haves nots anymore. I mean, there might be an ingradation, but everyone has a basic uh, element. Everyone is housed. Everyone can eat. No one starves. There's no need for medical because you're all just bits and bobs, bites yeah. and ones and zeros. The, but the medical is taken out of the equation. That is okay. the, the yeah. massive so, so, significance. So in that world, what is the capital? It is a different form of capitalism. I accept that we're still borrowing stuff and still. If, everyone works. Everyone buys a house or a flat or apartment or whatever dwelling they're living in. Everyone furnishes those things. Everyone goes out to eat and pays money to go yes. to eat at virtual restaurants. It is still driven by money. So it so, is not like everything is great and you can have whatever you want because you're just imagining it out of the air with sprites. It's not you buy what you want. You buy your digital furniture and your digital dwelling and your clothes and you pay for your services that other because you work in Gaia. It's not like it's this wonderful paradise where people can just swan around doing whatever they want to do. Yeah, creatively. I know. But what, what I found interesting, I, I agree with all that. Mm. And look, it is not up to Grace Chan in the space of a, a 90,000 word novel to develop a complete framework for the singularity. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not that's not the job, and it's not the point of the novel because the novel is about not what, no. The novel is, the is presenting about what is the authentic self. It, it's about what is what is the yeah. self. What is the authentic self? What does that actually mean? And that is where it's bridge. Yeah. Okay, and we'll probably talk about that in a second. But I, I did it did get me thinking about what this guy would actually be like from an economic yeah. point of view, from a social political point of view. If mo- if nearly all of us have uploaded and the rest have been left to die, but you know. What does that mean? And that, that and I found that provocative in a way that I'd not thought of before. Because getting now to the point, it it's usually cast in a way that you've described it in quite an evil, terrible. All these singularity novels I've read is often people being hunted down uh, to be forced into the singularity, or um, their stories of that once you're there, if you don't do X and Y, they delete you. You know, so you're deleted. None of that is actually – see, there's no sense of punitive within Guy that I could tell. You know, there's no threat of having your mind wiped if you do something wrong or whatever. So it's just it's, – it's, that's what I'm saying. It's a social surrealist novel. There is no um, thriller element to it. It is really – this is what – this is the world. How do you react to that? And then it, that's where it allows the book to yeah. breathe and to focus on uh, Taoyi's – sense of self and what it means to be human, which I hate saying. That's a cliche. But it is what it is about. Yeah. And that's one of, like, that is the great strength of the book because it doesn't impose some kind of, uh, yeah, as as you say, the the evil corporations, the, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It doesn't bring this really explicit uh, artificial sort of structure to it where you're going, oh, yes, it's bad because people are forced to do it or it's bad because people – no, it, you, you're just then um, enabled and, and forced, I guess, as a reader to think about the, the concept itself, which, as I said, for me, it's fucking horrific. <laughs> um, and you realise that, like – and all of this is drawn from how – like I said, right now we spend money for things that don't, don't exist. And let's not make any mistake about this. Capitalism – as it exists now as a system and has for quite some time is a fucking evil thing, right? We live in a world where people can literally have functionally or infinite money, infinite resources. A small amount of people can have that ridiculous amounts of money, money you couldn't actually spend if you tried in a human lifetime. And then you'll have people dying of starvation and exposure to the elements in the same fucking world, in the same fucking country and city in some cases, and that is fucked. And a system that allows that to happen 
and has the capacity to change it, which it does. The income of three people could change this is evil and fucked. And the fact that we take this into Gaia, like it is no different. It is running on the same system and we are in this system now and we don't, a lot of us acknowledge the absolute intrinsic systemic evil of the system we're living in because for a lot of us, for you and me, Ian, it doesn't affect us in that way. Sure, it might be nice to have a bit more money. Sure, it might be nice to have paid off the house, but it doesn't affect us. We're not going to be homeless. We're not going to be starving. We don't have to count every dollar we spend to see if we can afford milk this week or maybe petrol in the car, which has to go. The kid needs a new uniform for school. Fuck, now we can't afford to pay the electricity bill. Like the gas bill has gone up in winter. Yeah, that was shit. I didn't like getting my gas bill last winter, but I could pay it without worrying about it. And yet we are in this horrible system, which feels, I think it was Ursula Gwynn who she gave a talk a a few years before her her death um, where she was uh, talking about capitalism and how everyone's saying, well, how can you get out of it? It's, It's inescapable. This is what it is. It's the air. It's the water. And she goes, well, you know what else felt like unchangeable and inescapable? The divine right of kings. Yeah, which now feels to most people quite ludicrous as a concept. So, you know, it is not yeah, inescapable. Except, except <laughs> to get past that, it required empires to fall and massive, massive. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying we just that, shut the door on capitalism and walk away. It, yeah, that so, is exactly what it, it requires. So the revolution, although what comes first, the revolution or the uh, death of the planet due to climate change? Because I think it's, a, it's going to be a, a close run exactly. thing. And I guess what every version of you presents is the fact that capitalism won, and we've yeah, just taken it. Right. We've just taken it online now. We've just take because we, as human beings in this book, continue to not be willing to sacrifice what we feel is an essential lifestyle in order to help other people or other organisms or ecologies or the planet itself. Yeah, correct. Because as long as we can have what we want and what we feel we need to be comfortable, that's all that matters. And that's what Gaia is. And it's so depressing and so (laughs) horrific. And it's so well done by Grace Chan because she's not in your face saying that. I do think because we have Tao Yi and and what she's ultimately thinking about and decides to do, I think that is the ultimate thesis of the book. And I don't also see, I I think humanity has actually just fucked itself because I don't see Gaia continuing forever. And I think, and now, and now we are literally gone. We, as organisms, as biological organisms that that can reproduce, um, that can interact with the no, ecology. But that's the whole argument. Of, but the whole argument of the post-human is just is just another evolutionary step. So, okay, yes, we're not the same, mm. but we're still fundamentally whatever. Oh, human but, but but what if that infrastructure that supports that is just oh well, gone. the servers break down. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> and, and that's what I'm saying because I don't actually see Gaia being maintained. And the other really interesting thing, um, and correct me because I, I read this book in uh, late November last year, which was, you know, maybe silly, but uh, so little bits of it are vague. I, I do remember um, that scene, and we're going to spoil this book. I mean, big spoiler, um, turn off now, but, you know, Tao Yi doesn't, in the end, doesn't decide to upload. No. Um, Nav- Navin goes, her other friends go, her mother passes away, which which is kind of set up to be, well, that's the thing because her mother's old and ill and doesn't go online at all, is not interested in Gaia. And uh, they're, they're Chinese, Malaysian, uh, who and they immigrated to Australia when Tao Yi was, was young. So she is go- at the end of the book ends with her wanting to take her mother's ashes back to Malaysia where her mother had asked to be 
have, have, have our ashes scattered. Which, by the way, is a near impossible thing to do. Yeah. And you know what's good? Like, just side note, it was so good because she's making her way from Melbourne to Sydney and she's going to get on a plane and go. And I'm thinking, how is this? There won't be planes. What the hell is, like, this is ridiculous. If she gets on a plane. But then, of course, she gets there and it's like, there's no planes. It's like, yeah. duh. Like, it's, it, the novel is so clever. It, it's just because you're going with Tao Yi and thinking, well, I mean, if there's a plane, I'm tapping out. This is stupid. But, of course, there's no plane. But she just didn't. You know, yeah, and there's that scene. I know you're saying something. There's that scene where she got when she's in Sydney at the airport. Yeah, and there's kids, children scene. There's children who have yet to upload and go because there's still this whole thing about kids whether they're they're mentally able to they're they're mature enough to actually be like their their brains whether their brains can because your brain is replicated. So one of the horrific elements of this Mm. is that children are still very much corporeal in this world. Uh, but protected, heavily protected, and yet by robots, by robots who are their uploaded parents, of, uh, often in a robot form. And there's that scene where they see her, and it's it frightens them because yeah. what is this thing, this human yeah. that is an adult but not human. uploaded? And like the, the the very, I guess, and, and, and that, that was a visceral moment. I mean, that's yeah. truly epic. I, I yeah, that has stuck with me, and and will stick with me for a long time, and. It opens that door where you go, okay, so, well, A, um, you know, our, our brains as throughout childhood, uh, yes, they're, they're very malleable. We, we are intaking a massive amount of information and data and processing it and growing and developing into our personhoods. And a big part of that is interaction with other humans and other adults and having behaviours modelled and understanding the world. And th- so what when these children are... I guess physically matured enough for their brains to be uploaded. What are they going to be like? Yeah, it's it's yes. They're exactly. not going to be the same as as if they had grown up with other humans of varying ages. And and then the other thing, of course, that I think I don't think the book touched on, but it may have. Like I feel like maybe it did, but I've forgotten. Um, there won't be any more children. So so the way the book deals with that is that initially people will store their eggs and sperm and all that, and it'll be IVF. But I think the, the, the impression yeah. you get is that at some point everyone will just go digital, children as well. But 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 the thing is, like what I – and what I'm I – Because the children will be digital. I know, but what I can't really articulate properly is if it's for so – I mean, not for me personally, but for so many people, I would probably hazard the majority of people, having children is – it is a huge part of – their lives like yeah. the desire to have children and to bring up children and i don't i don't and i, I just can't get my head around how a, a digital child is produced to be an actual child instead of instead of just something that is created like the people who've uploaded to gaia are human beings who have grown up and been developed as i'm not sure how that i mean but given they're now if they're yeah. now ostensibly immortal and also, and they're growing away from what from, the capacity from, of a biological. They're, they're forgetting their their corporeal humanity. I just think it would just be a natural again, assuming the servers survive and they have the bandwidth. Um, it would just be natural to just create your own digital children that are oh, uh, built. But, yeah, but would they be more like more like creating a <laughs> like a tabagotchi? Oh, <laughs> No, but, 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 you, but you raise this point, and yeah, it's I know. because the book is actually about about um, uh, so. Oh, the one thing I wanted to point out is that there's been an influx of novels about second-generation mm. immigrants, particularly whether it's Asian-American or Asian-Australian mm. 
type immigration. And yeah. this book is very much part of that. Um, this is the new novel coming out. Uh, it's kind of, I've revi- I, I'm re- reviewing it for Locus. It's coming out in March. It's called uh, Flux by Jin Wu Chong. Uh, that also looks at this second, third, it's mostly second, immig- uh, second generation immigration from a speculative uh, viewpoint. And there's a lot of this, you know, even, um, yeah, anyway, there's a lot going, there's a lot of it out there and it's great. It's terrific. And, in this and and so here it's that connection between family between mother and daughter mm. and that wanting to take the ashes back to Malaysia that whole that whole element is is infused throughout the whole novel that that connection back to um, to where they've come from to their culture to their way of being and how does that transfer to Gaia do you lose that cultural sense that that sense of a homeland whatever it is mm. when you move to this digital world and and that is also in the novel and it's really interesting yeah. because there are these much there are because I'm, I'm part of this myself not from an Asian but from a Jewish point of view there are these really deep questions that are being asked right now about second third generation immigrants and how they assimilate and this is a novel about assimilation complete mm, it is. global assimilation and so how does that affect your connection to your culture and your ethnicity. And I think that's that was what resonated the most for me out of this novel. Beyond everything, I know we've spent half an hour talking about uh, capitalism and digital worlds, but actually that thing about assimilation yeah. and ethnic uh, cultural assimilation is was what actually spoke to me the most. Yeah, and I, I think like with the children thing, what, what I think probably happens in, in Gaia in this world that Chan has created, what I think probably happens is, and we, we see... The, the beginnings of once you uncouple the self from biology, from the body and from the, the chemicals and the mechanics of the body and what the interaction between the mind and, and where the mind lives, once that's uncoupled, we see Navin and like Taoyi says, she goes, you know, when she goes in to visit and spend time, um, her Navin and her friends, her, they're, they're changing and they're growing very swiftly, very very differently there they, they work differently now because their, their mind is not coupled to a, a body which governs to a great extent how it yeah. works so so you know they they can exponentially kind of you know expand their their personhood and their the way that they think and the way they interact and maybe once you go to Gaia and you're there for a while and you're immortal functionally immortal providing it all stays around children don't matter anymore and that biological imperative is gone and there won't be children. There will just be selves and they're immortal. So what is that? And what, like something I thought about for ages is, you know, the the way we craft narratives with beginning, middles and ends and so on. And, and we, you know, we can talk for ages about traditional narrative styles and everything and, and um, you know, the way endings work and, different types of endings and so on. But, you know, what if that is that is reflected, this idea of a contained narrative or a contained thing with a beginning, middle and end, because our lives have a beginning, middle and end. What if you are a functionally immortal being? Do you care about an ending in your art? Or, or do you just make this continuous, ongoing, creative experience that doesn't yeah. have an end and doesn't need to go towards an end? I, I think like, there's so much interesting stuff that comes out of this kind of you know, conceptual... And again... You can have these conversations and you can unpack this mm. when you strip away all the theatrics of these sorts of novels yeah. around 
people running because, for their you know, life. everybody has made as as much as is possible a free a free choice to go into Gaia. This is why the social realist novel is such a powerful and has been for yeah. two hundred years because it's exactly what it does. It investigates without putting a plot, yeah. you know, above it, and that's what that's what Chan has done here brilliantly. There is no. The, the drama is of the drama is of their lives, not of some artificial thing yeah. on top of that, and that's yeah. And she and she writes beautifully of of the oh, it's such a, yeah, How tactile a novel is it? Yeah, and brilliantly ta- because for obvious reasons, yeah. you know, it, it just becomes such a tactile experience. Um, yeah, it's beautifully written. Yeah. Now I'm I'm really glad I, I came across this book and and read it because it. And I'm just... glad you recommended it. We should note this is a debut. So yes. uh, no, no, the next book is not a debut. That's a second novel, but this one is a debut. <laughs> this is a debut novel. Yeah. And Grace Chan, as I said, she's an Australian um, author. And and it's set in Melbourne. Women in Sydney. It's in Melbourne. Not a Melbourne I would want to live in. <laughs> no, recognisable Melbourne. You, you yeah. recognise it, but it's here. Yeah. You go, oh, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can see why, you know, this this idea of Gaia for these, for the people who live in this world now where, where it is an option to them. And, again, I don't buy that it's an option. I, I think that's been hand-waved because, again, like the way we talk about the world, we talk about the world as being, oh, you know, we, we live in a, a, a democracy and a, and a wealthy society and everything. And, it, and it's not, but because it doesn't affect us directly, we can kind of make these sweeping statements. And for someone who actually is living in poverty, chronic poverty, and has very little options of getting out of that situation, who is homeless, who, um, you know, doesn't have a car, in a world that is car driven, for example, um, so the time suck that that takes on public transport and so on, or the you know, those people don't live in our they don't live in our world, and our world is hostile to them. And I feel like um, Tao Yi and Navin and, and they just don't see enough of the people who who don't have access to Gaia, and and never get access to Gaia. So we don't get a lot of that in the book, which is also quite good because you see enough of it to know, yeah, there's a lot of shit we're not being shown <laughs> because it doesn't impact Taoyi directly. So it's not part of her world. So I think there's a, there is a, there is a darker world than, um, than we're being presented then through Taoyi's perspective. Yeah. Look, anyway, it, it's, yes, it's a provocative book. It's, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um, I wish I'd mentioned it in my year's best uh, thing for Locus. Uh, Cause um yeah, I, look. I, I, so I, look, this. I'm just going to talk We're mentioning about it, it now. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm hoping this gets an Aurealis nod, and, and I'd look at Loverwood to get to yeah. get a nod broader than just the Aurealis award. But uh, you know, there's only so many. I mean, there's so many good books. It's it's difficult these days. But um, yeah, it, highly recommended. It's it is a debut. Um, I'm aware. I, I don't know if Chan's short fiction, which she's publishing places like Clark's World, etc., has been collected together. I don't believe so. But I, uh, I definitely. I I think this is her only book that is available. Yeah. So I look forward to a collection because I would uh, 100% read the shit out of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I love the, the balance between really important, nuanced discussions and meditations around how humans react with whatever worlds we are in. And and the really, as you said, tactile, visceral humanity of this book. Really enjoyed it. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for what Chan does next. So the next book, which is not a debut, it's a follow-up. So uh, is Megan Giddings' um, The Woman could the women not the woman the women <laughs> could fly uh her 
previous novel was Lakewood. Which um, I must go and get now. Yes, which I'm of the same. Uh, I, look, I say that. Frankly, I probably won't read it for 25 years. But uh, it's I'm, the point being that Giddings is now 100% on my radar, mm. um, despite the blurb. Which <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go go with that then? Oh, wow, it's long. Yeah, it's a long one. Look, uh, the, the first bit's in bold, and that's always the bit that scares me. Um, uh, reminiscent of the works of Margaret Atwood, Shirley Jackson, and Octavia Butler, which, I mean, that's okay. Yeah, fair You're enough. not wrong. It's not wrong. And, look, I do this myself in my reviews because it's a shorthand, but I do sometimes – sometimes I do want to say let a book be a book. But it, but but there are a million books published every year, and people need some kind of framing to know what books they want to target. Every, at. Book, every book that has some sort of dystopian element is compared to uh, the Handmaid's Tale. Everything, and in fact, uh, I think there was a, there's reviews of this that are directly compared back to the Handmaid's Tale. It, yeah. It's not the only thing that <laughs> these books are in conversation with. Okay, so I'm just saying that. Okay, I'm just yeah. putting it out there. All right, totally. Uh, but Shirley Jackson, Octavia Butler, yep, I, yep, I'm fair, good with that. Anyway, a biting social commentary from the acclaimed author of Lakewood that speaks to our times, a piercing dystopian novel about the unbreakable bond between a young woman and her mysterious mother set, set in a world in which witches are real and single women are closely monitored, which actually on its own is, is this all you really need from a blurb point of view, but there's more. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, look, I'll read it. We do that in this podcast. Um, Josephine Thomas has heard every conceivable theory about her mother's disappearance, that she was kidnapped, murdered, that she took on a new identity to start a new family, that she was a witch. This is the most worrying charge because in a world where witches are real, peculiar behaviour raises suspicions and a woman, especially a black woman, can find herself on a trial for witchcraft. The 14 years have passed since her mother's disappearance and now Jo is finally ready to let go of the past, yet... Her future is in doubt. The state mandates that all women marry by the age of 30 or enroll in a registry that allows them to be monitored, effectively forfeiting their autonomy. At 28, Jo is ambivalent about marriage. With her ability to control her life on the line, she feels as if she has never understood her mother more. When she's offered the opportunity to honour one last request from her mother's will, Jo leaves her regular life to feel uh, connected to her one last time. And then finally, this powerful and timely novel, and that word timely, we're going to, we're going to explore that word timely. <laughs> Megan Giddings explores the limits women face and the powers they have to transgress and transcend them. So, timely, Kirsten. Timely. It, now, this was written before the Roe v. Wade decision. Yep. But it came oh, out. It's a very post-Roe novel, isn't it? <laughs> but it came out post that decision. Well... In amongst the round the time. I mean, let's face it: the the Roe v. Wade um, turnover wasn't out of the blue. But, but, people, were, but, people were predicting that for years. The misogyny that's inherent in this novel, mm. the and the critic, uh, the attack on misogyny is not it, it, Roe v. Wade, which was yes up for debate, possibly as this book was being written. Obviously, I don't know when Megan Giddings was actually physically writing the book. Um, is only is not is not really what this book is reacting towards. No, it's, no, it's reacting towards a much broader uh, approach to uh, women's autonomy, empowerment, etc. It, it's reacting to the the situation that allowed Roe v. Wade. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that's why I, I have an issue with timely because 
it, it sort of implies that it's a book written for now, but frankly, it could have been, it could be written, well, unfortunately, probably can written 10 years from now and still be timely, and <laughs> written 20 years ago and still be timely. It's, it's timely in a timeless way. It's timeless rather than timely. You know what? I don't know about 20 years ago. I don't know about that. I think yeah. 20 years ago, I think we were still a bit too optimistic. I remember reading The Handmaid's Tale about 25 years ago and thinking, yeah, this is a good book, but this could never, like, like it, it's such yeah. a fantastic concept, it could never, ever happen. And you watch the adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale now and you go, of course this could fucking happen tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't yeah. think 20, 25 years ago we would have read a book like this and felt it in the same way. Yeah, well, and in the sense that... Which shows how quickly things this, have reversed. The, even though this is a book that, that assumes magic is real, and we should point out, while it does focus on witches and witchcraft, it's, it, the, the argument is made that, no, magic is just real. Men can also perform. Can, uh, it, can I ask you a question before we get um, further okay. into this? So... Uh, the first, it felt like half the book, but I, I read this one on Kindle, so I don't have a great sense of physical, yeah. You know. um, but it did feel like half the book before she, before Joe gets to the island. Brigadoon, as I thought. Um, before she gets there, it felt like maybe there's magic, maybe there's not, maybe it's just a way to keep women down. Because that's what Joe's mother told her her whole life. Yes. That there, there's no such thing as witches. It's all, um, you know, myths and, and power games and a way to keep women in their place and it's there's actually no witches. And I felt like the book for that first movement um, until she gets to the island and it's like, okay, there are fucking witches, <laughs> um, was really on the fence. And I think I didn't believe till they got to the island that there was magic and witches and it was just a control structure for women. And referring back to what, like in our world, you know, all of the stories and history we have about the idea that witches were real and what, hap what really happened to real women who were accused of witchcraft has, has just been brought in and, and you know, acted as scaffolding to in, to have this system. And, and there aren't witches. Of course there aren't witches. There's no more witches than there were back in the, the 1600s or 1700s. Um, but this, these stories have been rejuvenated again to control women. Um, did, is that how you felt in the first half of the novel? Or were you thinking yes. witches were real? Yes. We should note that Joe works in a art gallery slash museum-y type mm. situation where there's the collection that she's uh, curating or being involved in the curation of is cursed objects that were owned by a witch. Yeah. Uh, and she does, in when she's going over some of those objects, feel something. Yeah. So while I do sort of – that, that's in that first uh, half of the novel, uh, before she goes to Brigadoon, the island. Yeah. Um, so that gave me a feel that, yes, it, there probably is something – supernatural going on but i but like you i wasn't 100 sure i didn't read it yeah. as yeah I, 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 yeah and, and and i suppose we could argue whether this is a flaw of the novel or not whether that, that loss of ambiguity at that point is a bad or good thing i didn't find it a bad thing i actually found i it think a it's thing. a great thing yeah because I, I think the whole novel in the the lead up to that it, it is playing with your expectations and as i said i was firmly of the belief yeah. that of, of what Joe's mother had told her, and you know, we, again, we so we live in a world where the, the history in this world is is the history of our world, right? The, yeah. the the witch trials, the burnings, the hangings, all of that stuff has happened in our world and the world of this book. And we live in a world right now where you know there there is there's paganism, there is Wicca, there are people who practice contemporary witchcraft. You know, there there are people who 
believe in cursed objects, all of this sort of stuff. This is not any different really to what happens in our world right now, right? We can have, we have museums of, of cursed objects and, and so on. We have people who 100% believe in, in magic and like real magic and this sort of thing and the supernatural, okay? So there's no – and even that scene which was really striking when she's remembering – um, when she was very little, this is Joe, and she had uh, she had a toy that yep. talked to her, and she talked to it, and then her father came in and sort of saw her talking to the toy and, and threw it. And I, I was like, going, "What well, is that?" That was the first part where I just went, "Is was that real or was that just a kid imagining?" Yeah, but, but the you- point is that so many novels keep that ambiguity until the very end, or until for the whole novel. Yeah, Here, it's not. That's not what happens. Yeah. Because the novel, because the point of the novel isn't ultimately, you know, is there or isn't there magic? Are women or are women not witches? And and some other people. The point of the novel is, well, if they are, so fucking what? What's exactly. wrong with that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what odd. is wrong with that? What, what, you know. Yeah. Uh, How dare you prosecute and persecute and lock up and kill these people just because they have these powers that you don't have? How fucking dare you? That is the point of the novel. But but you could have. Anyone could theoretically have these powers. There's no, you know, obviously you, you've got to train, blah, 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 but you you could have these powers. That is clear. It is not just... It, it feels yeah. like um, perhaps... Uh, for for reasons which aren't explicit, it feels perhaps like uh, there it's maybe more likely that people who have uh, female sex characteristics, shall we say, are more likely to have these powers. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's uh, yeah, okay, yeah. And whether that is tied to DNA, chromosomes, hormones, whatever, uh, it it feels like that is the case. Within because the, the way I read it is within the within this America, and let's be clear, this is this is a contemporary America, America yeah. that is yeah. recognisable. It's got Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Yeah, but there's witches. So yeah. that's that that's all that's in a sense changed. But obviously, it's a massive change. But you are reading this book, feeling like it's the t- contemporary the contemporary society America that mm. we know from media and all that that. That, and that these things like the fact that you that women have to uh, marry by their time they're 30 are horrible and they're more than just an inconvenience but it's not something and it has shaped the society but not to the extent that we can't recognize that society mm. as our own society that's what's the, that to me is what's really clever about this book yeah it kind of creeps in like you you or at least for me anyway because of Again, before they get to Brigadoon, so before we get to the island with her, it's it's a very day-to-day, the minutiae of life, Joe yeah. going about her business, think, you know, meditating about her, her mother and whether her mother who disappeared when she was 14, whether she is dead or not, what's happened to her, finally coming to the decision that her and her father must decide to call, to pronounce her mother dead, to, to be done. She's no longer missing. She's going to be dead. We'll go with that. So the whole thing is very day-to-day and it's really beautifully written and very absorbing and engaging to read. And then every so often there'll be like a line or something um, where you go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's this world. Because in up until the point where things change in Joe's day-to-day life, she's got this horrible idea hanging over her that, yes, she, she's probably going to have to get married or, or do something about that or, or whatever. But she does go through her day-to-day not 
being overly affected. And it, except that she's got this massive like sentence hanging over her. That yeah, she and she and, and and she's we should point out she's bisexual as well. So and yes. uh, homosexuality is is and the, one of the great contradictions is that. Um, that only the, according to this society, only women can perform magic, or you know whatever. Yeah. Uh, but gay men can as well. Yeah, uh, are punished for the same that you know for the same the same way and burnt at the stake. So it yeah. just shows you know the ridiculousness of uh, of the system. But um, yeah, it's it, it is so so because it reminded me uh, not of Margaret Atwood, but it reminded me of the Jessamine Chan novel we read, the the, the school for. Um, good mothers, yes. or whichever. yeah. Because again, it's another what I'm calling. I'm calling this phrase, and no one else will use it. It's another light dystopia where that's a my, light dystopia, not dystopia light, because I hate L I T E. So I've done it the other way, light dystopia, because it's another book where that in the Jessamine Chan novel also there's something that's fundamentally different, but everything around it is the same and recognisable. So, um, as opposed to kind of a post-apocalyptic, yes, yeah, and and that's and that's the juggling act for Chan in, in her novel and and getting stars in hers is that how do I how do I create a recognizable world that people can can get immersed in, but still have this thing and not just go full dystopia, not go full Margaret Atwood, not go full hand. That's the thing; it's not Handmaid's Tale. The comparing <laughs> yeah. to it is ridiculous because it is very much our world, and we could we would recognize it as such. Whereas Handmaid's Tale, you're immediately going, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And, and, you know, it's really – I think that's a really useful distinction and I think books which are – Oh, thanks. You never say such nice things about me. (laughs) Because books which are, okay, like a a light – I don't like the the phrase light dystopia because it makes it sound like it's lighthearted or something or lightweight. Um, If you could come out with a portmanteau, I'll credit it to you. I don't know. It's like an integrated dystopia, I guess, because it, you know, as you say, it's our world, but the the dystopic aspect is is fully integrated into our world. It feels like this is our world, but with this thing. And realistically, unless we're going to get hit by a small but still destructive comet, or you know, there there is some kind of runaway pandemic that that has a much higher fatality um, and ongoing infection rate than than COVID has, we're not going to be in a post-apocalyptic dystopia when we're not the dystopia will happen slowly and gradually in in our world and it will co-opt our systems and it will yes. use our social structures and our ways of relating with each other and that is what it will do it won't be like oh yes we'll be all be out now you know filtering our own pee to drink and trying to grow crops in in hard scrabble dirt and you know that that no that is not going to be the dystopia we have to worry about it is something like this i mean maybe not with magic but you know, it is it is something like this well, no, no, the, the, no the, the real one the, the genuine one for america in particular less yeah. for australia but you know it could happen here is that um uh, the presidency and the house and the senate are all republican uh, as in, and enough votes. So Sixty votes in the in the in the Senate. Uh, you know, you only need a majority, uh, mostly in the House, and then a, a Republican president because they've already got the Supreme Court. So in that case, where there's literally no checks and balances at all at any level of government, yeah. that's where the nutcase bills that you're seeing currently being put that we know won't go anywhere, like a thirty percent consumption tax and whatever. And I know I'm, I'm dating this podcast by saying these things, but. You know these crazy ideas and, and a national abortion act and all that could actually get through. They that could actually happen, and yeah. therefore destroy uh, American society. Not overnight; it would take time, but 
within a few years. Pretty quickly. <laughs> like in the scheme of things, it would it would be well, kind of consumption tax would essentially do it if, if it was enacted within twelve months. It would do it mm. within twelve months. It would yeah. kill the economy. Yeah. But the point is that the. We, that's why these books are, are not so much timely as timeless because they, they – I mean, the decision to overturn Roe Wade changed America overnight. Yes, correct. Let's make for, – for, for people who needed correct. abortions and terminations of their pregnancy and and some other healthcare related to living in a, a, a female-defined body, their lives changed correct. overnight. Yeah, no, yeah, because there were all these acts uh, that were li- lying latent yeah. and dormant waiting yep. for, yeah, and they just, just were enacted yeah, li- immediately. Literally, literally overnight. Yes, yeah, and you're right. And, and and I think that's what the power of a book like this is because you could argue, I mean, we said that the Chan book was not didactic. This one very much is, or at least it's mm. making some very clear points. It's, ta- uh, you know, I mean, I, I said, it, <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote on Twitter, it's ta- it takes no prisoners. It's it's very clear what this book is saying. Mm. Um and you could argue, well, that then becomes a polemic and it's not interesting as a work of fiction. It's just a rant. And, but it is though, because a Giddings is bringing a huge amount of storytelling skill to the book, framing mm. it in as a story, framing it as a story between a mother and a daughter, which in of itself is interesting. And then having in within that the trappings of this light dystopia. <laughs> You got to run with that one. I am, and okay. and it's powerful because of that, and and therefore it brings out those issues and doesn't leave us thinking, oh, this is just another <sighs> polemic. And I, you know, it, it, because it isn't. It's it. it I'll use your word. It is integrated. It's integrated altogether yeah. as a piece of fiction storytelling. It's wonderful. And there's lots of little, um, I guess, tangents. They're not really tangents. They're just because they're not um, necessarily uh, dwelt on with a lot of time, but pointers out to what the world is like. Like, For example, Joe's best friend, um, Angie, who's a lesbian, who's Joe's age, she ends up having to get married and there's a little kind of cottage industry that has grown up for you know, to, to organise arranged marriages between people who are gay um, or lesbian. Uh not between two lesbians, obviously, but between a, a, a gay man and a lesbian so they can be married and she can be safe and in a marriage and not being, you know, having to be registered as a potential witch and tracked and checked and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and he's also possibly safer because he's not a single potentially gay man having to hide his lifestyle. That's a horrible word. You folks know what I mean. And so these people having to get married so that on paper everything is okay even though their sexual attractions are completely opposite and they there will not be romantic sexual partners but at least they're married and safe so this little industry has grown up with these um, introduction agencies specializing in people who are queer who who wouldn't otherwise enter into a heterosexual marriage um which is so like it's awful and her- like it's just awful, isn't it? Like horrific. It, it, um, it is, but again, done in a subtle way. Yeah, yeah. That that allows this society to still be one that's recognisable to us. Yeah, absolutely. But even like and and more. And, and it goes back to the point you said about the Chan novel that we don't notice it, mm. but these things are happening today in ways yeah. that we don't see because it's not part of our daily life. It doesn't affect us. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't affect us, and and and, and yeah. And I think like 
the really one of the most interesting things about this novel. So, oh gosh, I can't. Oh, Preston is his name. I kept thinking of him as Party City because. <laughs> So Joe has this relationship with this guy, which is meant to be this kind of casual sex thing. And he's he's in her phone as Party City because that's that's it. They just get together every now and have great sex and that's that's done. She's not interested and she's not – except she kind, kind of has, you know, she does have feelings towards him. And he very much, even though she presents him at the beginning and throughout the first movement of the novel, I guess, as just this guy where they hook up, you know, it becomes very, very apparent that he genuinely has – very deep feelings of love for her um and he he wants to marry her and it's not just white knighting i will you know save you and he he genuinely wants to have a a relationship with her and and you know also to marry her so she will be safe and protected and there's this wonderful well it's not wonderful again it's horrific but there's this beautifully written um meditate meditative passage in the novel where joe is thinking about this and whether to marry him and whether to like just do it and she's going how and and realizing she does have feelings for him but that's tangled up in the idea that how can you actually really freely and genuinely love someone if your existence and safety and liberty is tied to needing to be married to them how yeah. how do you untangle your yeah. genuine no matter how good that person is and, and, and no matter and how good and genuine they are and how well they treat you and how they don't impose those beliefs on you how do you know whether you genuinely can love them because you have to you have to so is that a free choice? And it's this really complicated, and it's not answered. No, it's she not. Doesn't know you can't. You can't. You can't know it because you can never not be in that situation. And it's just. And and, yeah, and, and, was, and the thing about Preston, he's a terrific mm, character. He is. No matter what happens in the last third of the novel, he is on her side. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, even when uh, it's revealed that she can perform witchcraft, mm. he doesn't care. Uh, yeah. He he will take the blame. He'll do whatever he needs to do because he loves her. He genuinely and loves her. Genuinely, and and and, and yeah, and, and he's hurt. Like he says, like they they have a conversation like towards the end when they you know where he says you know I I really hurt because you've been kind of treating me just as this casual hookup guy, and I genuinely love you, and I'm kind yeah. of hurt by that. And she's surprised because she thought he like he he was the hookup guy. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. She's kind of surprised. It's, again, it's be- it's just beautifully mm. done and. Oh, it's there's so much that's so good in this novel. I mean, the mother-daughter stuff is really mm. interesting. I mean, frankly, did you ever think that the mother was truly dead? I mean. You know what's weird? I I was surprised what? that yes. I was surprised when her mother was on the island. <laughs> Are you joking, Kirsten? Seriously. I, seriously, I had this little bit of surprise and I went, why am I surprised? I knew she wasn't dead. Of course she was going to be on the island. Why? Why am I surprised? <laughs> but that was how engaging the book was. I just, oh. I cut like I yes, I yeah, she wouldn't be there, but I, yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought the island would be like the first step in a treasure hunt. I guess. Yeah, so that, that's what it was. It wasn't like oh, surprise, mum's alive. Oh my god, I didn't pick it's it. It's just that she's it was, just there from like the second that she's she just there. It's like oh, okay, because I I I think what I felt without really like consciously articulating it what I felt was that this book was going to be like a journey towards finding her mother and so that would be closer to the end it happened really quickly it's like oh shit okay what now (laughs) where are we going (laughs) so it was yeah it was quite it was really well done because I hadn't expected her to be there right now 
and then the magic and all of this stuff. It's like, where the hell is this book going then? And where it's going is Joe goes back. Yeah. Like she leaves the safety of the island and she And is told back. by her mother, her mother who is quite domineering, who yeah. still oddly is a bit cynical about magic and what it is, even though she obviously yeah. can't now deny it. So her, her denial of magic was genuine. She was a genuine yeah, sceptic. absolutely. She, she wasn't trying to protect Joe. She genuinely did not believe in it. She now goes to the island and obviously gets clear magic exists, and yet she's still sceptical to a degree um, um, to the extent that I think she's not allowed in the lighthouse. The spirits don't like her, yeah. um, which, which, you know, I found quite funny. But, but, her, but her mother's domineering as well, mm. um, and, and it would have been interesting if she'd been in Joe's life what, what that would have meant for Joe. Uh, yeah. in her own development as a person. But, um, yeah, I actually, yeah, you said just that you were surprised that Joe goes back. I wasn't, again, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't, no, I wasn't surprised, but. Because um, oh, I think it, her mother pushes her, in a sense, without meaning to, by being so, it's not, she's not overtly domineering. She just, she she doesn't, you know what it is? She doesn't provide the love that Joe is seeking. That's what it is. Mm. She's not providing the sucker that. Joe was, was 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 striving for and had missed. She discovers that her mother was never that sort of person. Yeah, and 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 at the age of twenty eight, she goes, Ah, okay, you were never that person. I was never going to get that, whether you were yeah. alive or dead. And okay, um, all right, that's 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 a change. But it's really yeah. interesting because I mean, she there, you know, there are other women on the island and and they practice magic, and Joe learns to practice magic, and, and Joe falls in love on the island. And she falls in love and, you know, and, and what's really interesting is, and I don't know how much of this is is 100% her, her motivation for going back, but at least what she's telling herself is that she she's going back because she is, gonna, she is going to come back to the island. She intends to come back and stay there, but she needs to go back and say goodbye to people because she doesn't want to leave the people who love her in the position that her mother left her in when she just vanished without trace or contact. Yeah. Um, and that's that, that's very much her, her reasoning. I feel like there's more emotional complication behind leaving the island than, than just that very logical reason. That no, I, I think it's got to do with her, her mother not being the mother that she wanted her to be. I think I think if her mother had been a different person mm. and been completely – because her father – and this is the other thing. Her father is – so she's – from your memory, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a, it's a biracial couple. Yeah, uh, it, her father's yeah. white, her mother's black. Yeah, yeah, and her father is already becoming more aloof towards Joe before she goes to the island. That then and it's jo- so heartbreaking what happens when she... And so, so when she comes back, yeah. her, her father's essentially become... He's, he's joined his family... And become yeah. a sort of religious fundamentalist. And, it's, and, and it when it's um, it's accident when she's accidentally found out to... Because she gets like when she gets back, they grab her, they put her in a facility, they question her, they torture her, kind of mildly, um, t- to be honest, depending on what they do later. Um, and and they are satisfied that okay, she's she's not a witch. She just disappeared for a few days, or, or it w- it wasn't as long that she disappeared for as she, she was, was on the island for weeks, uh, yeah. close to months, but in the real world or in our yeah, world, it was only there's a time, few days. there's time slippage, yeah. um, and. And they they they're satisfied. Maybe still a bit suspicious. She has like a like a parole officer type 
person yeah. who is she has to check in with. But they're they're like, okay, we are pretty sure you're probably not a witch, so go back to your life and check in now and make sure you register as an unmarried woman and all this sort of stuff. And um, and then there's and you know something happens which we, we won't reveal. Um, and it's people find out she's actually magic, and then she is arrested, and 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 then her father is like, I can't talk to you anymore. Yeah, you you are dead to me essentially. It was already even before that. There was already yeah, uh, that, just, that break. It's and and he was one of the people that she went back for. And and, and what, what's revealing is that in that early, as you call it, I love when you say the first movement of a novel. That's that's something I'm going to use in a review. Uh, I'm steal <laughs> that. Um, yeah. So in that in that uh, in that early section, uh, we find out that when so when her mother did disappear uh, when she was fourteen, that again. Joe is taken in and questioned differently than when she is when she comes back. In a much more. But her father's way. not. But her father could be there as a guardian because she's a, she's young, yeah, a child essentially, and her father doesn't turn up. And so you already know there's that there's something not right there. Um, well, don't that, forget he he saw like he knows his daughter does magic because he saw her with that that. Yes, but he's been, doll. he's been denying it to himself. I know, but but he does know. So yeah. he's 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 already like throughout the whole thing, just keeping himself at a safe distance for his own safety. Like he has privileged his own safety above his child. And, and this, was, this goes back to the broader point that all the stuff we're talking about are the layers that this book offers that makes more than just a condemnation of misogyny, sexism, whatever. It is that very much that very yeah. clearly that. But yeah. it is more than that. It is a it's it's a more richer reading experience, and that's why it's such a great book. And you should all yeah. read it. Yeah, it is really good. And I I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil the ending, but I will say that the ending was perfect. Yes, it was just in the wake of look in in the horror film genre. There's been a lot of movies that deal with which is a real neo-pagan like paganism is you know all of these you know um the witch midsummer um hereditary and what, I know, what takes a negative view and it what it ends up coming down like even the witch which i know a lot of people love and i loathe with a burning passion that i cannot describe because in the end of that yes okay the witches are real and everything but you know what in that movie then the, they, they did kill children they do kill children <laughs> We just kill children. And, and this is what happens. It's like they're real. But it's sort of like with um, like when True Blood, uh, the, the TV series, when it was adapted into a TV series and, and it was out in the early 2000s, I don't know, I think early 2000s, gosh. In the blurb prior to 2016. In, in the before times. Yes, before COVID, yep. And there was very, very strong and explicit and clever correlations made between the vampires in True Blood and gay people in America. And, you know, there was things like, you know, there was people who were protesting and they had signs up which looked exactly like Westboro Baptist Church signs with, you know, God hates the F word and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, God hates vamps in True Blood. And there were very, very, very strong correlations made between the the oppression of of gay people in the US and the, you know, the discrimination and oppression against vampires, which was, which is clever and, you know, had depth and texture and everything until you get to the point where the vampires in True Blood do actually kill people and are a threat to non-vampires, which is like, is that really what you want to say about gay people? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's some of these like revitalizations of witch stories. And, you know, while they might be ostensibly, Positive, like the witch is very positive towards 
you know, the girl who ends up being a witch, they're still actually saying, but okay, but we're not going to dismantle the fact that witches actually kill children and, and curse people and do all this stuff. We're just going to say that. Whereas Giddings completely does. Whereas Giddings is like, no, like there are witches and there's magic, but they're not what you say they are. They're not cursing people. They're not bewitching people. They're not doing all this stuff. You're, you're just, you just don't want them to have these powers. Correct. And it's the most triumphant ending. And I, I just love, I loved it so much because it was on a knife edge. It could have been a really fucking bleak, downbeat fucking ending. Yes. And I was half expecting it to be that way. Um, and it, and it's, it's the, it's the perfect ending. Well, so much all. fiction, I loved it so, so much, much this sort of fiction is, is, is nihilistic. And so it's always great when it says no, uh, yeah. life, love, and life, and that sort of thing yeah. wins out. That's, that's and you know what? It's it's a really radical storytelling because it is really easy to go. Yeah, it's just all shit. Everything is shit. Everything's shit. It's going to be crap. Doesn't matter what you do. It's just shit. It's bleak. It's horrible. That is that is so easy. Correct. And there is nothing edgy about it anymore. No. And it it is and fiction which which resists that and fiction which is well, I think hope punk is the. Oh, word God, to, word yeah. to sure. <laughs> but yeah. fiction that resists that. Um, and the other thing is, you know what, as as a writer, as a creative, because of human psychology and the way we work, it is easy to write a convincing and emotionally rich and engaging bleak ending. It is easy. You know, not like easy, easy, but easier. Like we are, as readers, as viewers and consumers of culture, we are very susceptible to believing in the veracity of that. To write a, a positive, can I even say like a happy, an that optimistic, hopefully sentimental or twee. And make it believable yeah. and make it satisfying and engaging. That is fucking hard. <laughs> It's my current project. It is fucking hard to do. I am really good at the bleak, horrific stuff. I am really good at making you feel bad. I am exceptionally good at that. I have done it for 20 years and I have honed my craft. And when you turn around to go, well, how do I do that in the opposite way and make it just as emotionally satisfying is fucking hard. And I'm but trying. Giddings pulls it off. And, and, and by the way. Giddings pulls it off with. Layers that ending in the earlier parts of the novel. So we so yes. when it does happen, we go, oh, okay. Yes. Brilliant. It, it is. Genius. The ground is set. And it is. And that's part of it. Like you have to, you have to prefigure that. Yeah. Um, and do it in such a way that it's not, as you say, twee or sentimental. And it's, it's amazing. And I have such deep respect for books like this which pull pull it off because it's fucking hard Ian as I am learning oh yeah well I mean, that's why I write fiction person <laughs> that's what that's why I do the easier thing of writing 800 yeah. word reviews because uh, but you know what it's important like I think this is really really important work because in the middle of a world is. where it is really easy to believe that everything is shit and nothing you do on a personal basis is going to make a difference and we're all going to be living in the world of you know every version of you in 50 years and it's going to be absolutely fucking shit and it doesn't matter so just consume all the stuff and eat all the things and throw away all the plastic and do whatever you want because nothing fucking matters it is really fucking vital to to create art that does the opposite oh, that is a perfect note to end on kirsten really it is that is beautifully said and perfect we'll end then cool <laughs> uh, these books, uh, which we yeah well it's quite yeah. cool but buy them anyway read yeah. they're great yeah. very very engaging and extremely thought-provoking they're the kind of books that you think about while you're reading them and then you will think about them 
very much afterwards. So what are we doing next month, Kirsten? Next month. So um, next month will be March. <laughs> Just checking. Because <laughs> <laughs> February just got, I looked around. It's like, how's it February? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, so next month in March 2023, we're reading two novels. The first is called, I think it's just Lot. Or it might be L-O-T-E. The title is capitalized. I, I, I chose so it. I sure. have no idea. You chose it. You don't know. We might do a tiny bit of research before next episode. But yeah. Lote uh, by Shola Van Reinhold. And the next book, which I've chosen because I think it might be really interesting uh, to sort of think about in context with the animals in that country that we read and talked about last year. I want to say last year uh, by Laura Jean Mackay. Uh, it's called Animal Life by Otto Ava Olofstotter. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. My apologies if I'm not. Um, I came across the description of this one. I went, that sounds really, really cool. So, and that is my, that's what I'm doing this year. I'm just going to choose books that I think sound really, really cool. That's my thing too. (laughs) That's going to be my thing too. The the, lot or L-O-T-E just sounds weird and strange and cool. It does. It does. I had a quick look at it this morning when I was putting up the show notes. I went, mm, I am going to enjoy, I hope I'm going to enjoy reading that book. I very enjoy Yeah, if it's it, so. rubbish, well, you know, that's sad, but I hope it isn't. Uh, I, have, <laughs> I have also heard good things about it too. Indeed. Well, I think that is us done in a good amount of time. I don't, I'm not going to make any promises to keep these below an hour this year, but hopefully they won't go too much over. So, um, you can send feedback to us if you like by commenting at the website, which is writerandcritic.podbean.com. You can send an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com or you can follow at writerandcritic on Twitter <laughs> while Twitter is still a thing. Uh, and I, I might sign us up for Spoutable as well when we're able to do that. For what? It's the new, new thing. I don't mm. know. I just, I think it's meant to be the new thing. I don't know. I never did Mastodon. What is it called? Spoutable? <laughs> Like, like, okay, spoutable, like, like a whale oh. spout or a teapot spout, spout. I'm not saying it's a great name, but among my circle, apparently it, it may be. Like, as I said, there's I'm not signed up. You know, to that, you know that gif or meme of the chief from Maxwell Smart pinching the bridge of his nose? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, I don't know what that is, but but, but I will you... probably side us up on an account. Watch this space in March yeah, if I on. have, or if I've just decided that you know I I just can't be bothered navigating the trash fire of social media right now. Um, or you can also, if you're if you're wonderful and you have some coins to spare, sponsor us on Patreon if you can. You don't literally get anything out of it except the warm feeling of throwing yes. us a dollar. Which is why we don't make a big deal out of it. Because money. unfortunately we're not we're not doing anything special. We may. We may have to think of a Patreon Yeah, over. you can think of it because I'm, I'm sure. I don't have it. the space to think of it. You know what's made me happy this, this year? What? It's so stupid, but it has made me ridiculously happy. And I mentioned it because I'm looking at it now. Um, a, f- a friend of mine at work uh, put me onto <laughs> this stupid little add-in that you can get for your browser where when you open and you- it's called Tabby Cat. People out there already use it. Yay. If you don't, maybe look it up. And when you open a new tab, instead of just opening up to, you know, the Google search or whatever your new tab opens yeah, up yeah. to, it opens up to this little tiny animated cat with a really stupid different name every time. And it's just, 
and it's ridiculous. But every time I open a tab, I kind of forget I had it and this little cat pops up and it's just, it makes me smile. It's the most, it's the little things, people. It's whatever gets you through the fucking day. So Tabby Cat, I recommend. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, I'm, sure it, I'm sure it uses a little bit more carbon to generate, but fuck it. Sometimes we have to have nice things. On that note, my battery's about to run out. So, Alrighty. Uh, well, goodbye, Ian. I'll talk to you next month and listen, listen here. Talk. Talk to everyone else next month as well. Yeah. Bye. Welcome to 2023. <laughs> I had one this morning because the cat wears glasses. I had one this morning that was just this pair of glasses floating on the screen. And the end, it was called um, Spooky Casper. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, I laughed for five minutes. It was the best thing. <laughs> <laughs>